Okay. All right. Wait, how does like um how would like a Joe Rogan start off this broadcast? What do you what do they say? Oh, fuck. I don't know. I've never listened to one <laughs> second of the Joe Rogan experience. I don't know. I'm trying hey, to bro, man. what's up? Pass yeah. the <laughs> Gather round, bros. It's time. It's the perhaps it's you podcast where we watch Robert Stack episodes of Unsolved Mysteries and we tell you what happened because you don't remember, but then we comment on it. You're sounding a little more like Jim Bro, which is like you need a little bit of that, but you it needs to be a little like you've smoked a little more than where you're at. I don't know how to do. I only know how to do whatever I just did as a, <laughs> as a male voice. I don't know how. In the recipe of Joe Rogan, I think we need a little more of that. A little, a little, a little pot sprinkling. I don't know if I can bring that to my vocal performance, honestly. Um, by the way, my name is Liz. My name is Samantha. Um. We've been doing this podcast for like five years. Wow, it's been a journey. It's really, it's been just a, it's a, it's a chronicle of our friendship, really. It's true. People can listen from the beginning where we didn't know each other that well, and no, know, we did not. I don't. It's kind of amazing <laughs> that we started doing this, and now here I am, infiltrated yeah. every part of your life. How do you feel about that, Samantha? fine with it i don't know if i'd still be doing this if i had a problem with it you're like wait every part of my life oh shit Uh, yeah (laughs) you don't know that i have that secret entrance in your basement Mm. that's fine (laughs) it's fine if you if you want to crawl through our disgusting base i sneak in and then i over i overwater your plants and then i leave oh no my enemy i didn't know you were my enemy well, I don't mean to overwater them. I mean to just water them. But just, I'm telling you this so that when any plant dies, you're like, oh, it was Liz. I can just blame it on you. Yeah, Actually, you that's just, great. You can just blame me. It's like, if only Liz didn't sneak in here and overwater these things, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> that's, a, that's absolutely great. I will do that now. Okay, I wanted to start off the podcast with a couple updates. I want to thank listener Amelia who put together our requested gender queer protection spell. She consulted with, she is a witch, but then she consulted with other witches about the best way to perform the spell. And so then I think maybe it was on Friday. We all lit a candle at the same time. Oh, that was Wednesday. I have fucking no concept of time. Okay. (laughs) So on Wednesday, (laughs) we, uh, lit a candle at the same time and then we thought about the people that we wanted to protect to uh contribute our energy to the spell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i pretty much just sent my energy out to everyone who's not an asshole same i was like if you're not an asshole i hope this spell protects you yeah same and if you are an asshole honestly fall in a well don't care um <laughs> so hopefully that spell finds you well Thank you so much, Amelia. I already heard from listener Alice who requested the spell and it meant a lot to them. So, Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, I really appreciate listener Amelia and Amelia's witch colleagues. Yeah, the, the like witch phone tree that went out. How do we make this happen? <laughs> Love it so much. I, honestly, it's very cool to me that we could be like, oh, I think I need this podcast needs a spell. And people are like right on it. Yeah, Done. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. Okay, also, Samantha hasn't really seen this yet, but we got a very cool package the other day um, from listener Laramie. 
who has sent us some things before, but um, they do a like Etsy shop of felted cryptids. I mean, obviously, um, barefoot cryptid on Etsy. And so we were sent uh, two Mothmen. I saw photos of the booty. <laughs> yeah, the most important part. Apparently, that's what we've inspired, that the Mothman have big butts. So <laughs> you might think that this podcast is too small to have a cultural impact, but the evidence is there. Plain as day. Uh, we also got... I, I did want clarification if the, the sea monster or lake monster we got is Nessie or Ogopogo. Oh, okay. So I can address it appropriately, you know. And there was that's some important. other... There was some other cool stuff in the package. So thank you so much. That's super sweet. I just love the like little mysterious gifts that we get in the mail to prove that people actually listen to this podcast and not just like bots somewhere. So I feel great. like I need proof sometimes. So I do really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, it's like, well, it's probably just my mom. Yeah. Um, if people were waiting on my mom's iced coffee recipe, which hilariously someone did inquire about, my mom posted it in our Facebook group. Oh, I missed it. So find where someone's asking about the iced coffee recipe and then you'll find my mom's response. It's very easy. It involves like Folgers crystals. So oh, okay. get I'm on it. Up right now. Yeah. It's like sugar water with some coffee flavor. Added. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great. It's honestly super delicious. It tastes like you're drinking melted coffee ice cream. Yum. Which I think is what we all need in our lives. <laughs> yeah, indulge yourself. We talked about this last time. <laughs> Maybe I'll just start buying coffee ice cream, melting it, putting it over ice. Do you think that has caffeine in it? I think yeah, it's probably. You. Probably, but you know. Maybe what? you can get decaf. I feel like that's even caffeinated, probably too caffeinated. Decaf has a tiny bit of caffeine. Some people don't know this. Look, I have a I had to tell people that all the time when I worked at a coffee shop. I have a horrible curse. I don't think it's a level that would affect like most people, but no. But if you're really sensitive, my body hates me, so whatever. Um, that might be all of the updates I had. If you want us to like give you a shout out on the show, be sure to leave us a five star review. And say something funny, and then we'll, you know, oh, we'll yeah, talk, we'll we'll talk about sure. you. Absolutely. And we only accept five-star reviews. I, that probably goes without saying, because this podcast is so good, you would, like, never even consider giving us four. That would never even cross your little mind. But <laughs> just to be clear, only five-star reviews are acceptable. Only. Mm-hmm. So we are in kind of the middle of season seven right now, believe it or not. I think we, what are we, we made it to episode 12? This is 12, I think. One okay. before 13. I'm excited for 13. I don't know if we want to give any spoilers, but um, looks like it's going to be a good one. Oh, yeah. So tune in for that. Samantha starts us off this week. I just took a sip of my polar. I've been drinking this uh, summer polar flavor. Oh, wait, which one? I'm drinking the pink summer iced tea. Oh, I haven't found that one yet. Damn you. I could have got you. Could have got you one. Maybe I'll see if there's more. I found them at my CVS when I was there to pick up a prescription. I came around the corner and there they were. I gasped out loud. <laughs> Sadly, they only had four. Um, I think there's five. I think there's a an apple one that people say is really good, and they didn't have oh, it. Oh damn! But the pink sour iced tea is good. It tastes like, I mean, like watered down iced tea, but it's tasty. It's, it's tasty. I like it. I really want to try that. When I go back, I'll see if that can get you one. Okay. I will be checking CVS probably tomorrow. 
Uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> as soon as I possibly can. Yeah, they had the summer flavors, which I wish they came in a smaller... <laughs> they come in this giant thing. I could never, like, drink it fast enough before it, it goes flat, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the big bottle. Yeah, I wish they mm. came in cans, but, you know, whatever. I'm just happy to have it. They should do a variety pack of cans. Polar, are you listening? You should, because we talk about you all the goddamn time, and you don't give us any money. <laughs> A variety pack of their seasonal flavors would sell, I feel like it would sell like hotcakes. That's listen what up. I want. I just listen want to up. taste each one and decide which one I like and then buy a whole bunch of that one. <laughs> listen up, Polar. You should be paying us as like consultants or some shit. We've we got some should. We solid have, ideas. We have hawked their seltzer water for so long. <laughs> God damn. Meanwhile, Repod is, uh, is the only business which is with the integrity, the decency, the honesty to give us money. <laughs> to give us money, yes. Uh, so that's how you should be listening to your podcast today through the Repod app. I and you are. make a little clip of something funny we say or tag your comment to like a specific moment in the podcast. It's, it's a fun way to chat with us and to listen to podcasts. And also, most importantly, they gave us money. Most importantly. Unlike the villains over at Polar can't be bothered. <laughs> not only do they not have a wide enough distribution yeah. in, to include Minnesota, but they don't give us money for constantly... Well, it's probably because we're advertising for, for them for free. I mean, why, I mean, yeah, why bother? <laughs> why would they give us money? We're doing it for free. But Polar, I will do it even more. You have no <laughs> idea. You have no idea what I'm capable of until you pay me. Which, that should be the tagline of our podcast. You have no idea what I'm capable of until you pay me. Clip that little <laughs> clip on, on Repod. <laughs> Someone needs to, like, make a song with little yes. little samples of us. God, I, would that's love, I would love that. Sounds as long terrifying. as you make it not embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of what I say could be taken out of context and strung together to feel like the most embarrassing thing ever. <laughs> Yeah. As, as I was saying that, I was like, Liz, do you really want that joke this? <laughs> they could either do it in a way that's hilarious and very flattering or <laughs> the or, exact opposite. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yes. Our first mystery. Um, is this the unexplained? God damn. I didn't write it down. I don't, I don't remember. Know. Shoot. This is uh, the or it might be a mysterious legend. I think it's a mysterious legend. Yeah. Let's Hol- just say it is. <laughs> So this is the mystery of Padre Pio. I'm excited. Pa- I'm excited to talk. <laughs> Padre Pio was born Francesco Forgione. I hope I said that right. In 1887, he was the son of Italian farmers. God, Samantha, your Italian is terrible. It's like you don't speak Italian. It's almost at all. like I don't speak Italian. Yeah, it's I real- feel like I didn't say that as bad as I've said some other words. So I'm gonna give myself that. <laughs> Small yeah, pat on yeah, the back. Yeah. Uh, in 1903, he decided to join the priesthood. In 1910, he was ordained at the age of 23. That's so young. Um, a 23-year-old priest? I would be like, um, I need to confess to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> could, could you get, like, an adult? <laughs> on the morning of September 20th, 1918, he was deep in prayer when he experienced what he described later as, quote, ecstasy or a profound 
vision of Jesus that left tangible evidence behind. Now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, obviously, if there's, if there's no way to know uh, if the reenactment Unsolved Mysteries shows us is accurate and that Padre Pio saw a vision of Christ that was like unnecessarily sexy. <laughs> okay, but first of all, I love everything about this reenactment. <laughs> Even before we get to sexy Jesus, but like he's kneeling in prayer and there's this light coming through this like very 70s stained glass window that makes mm-hmm. it like there's no way this is taking place before the 70s where <laughs> it's just like 1910 yeah just square panels of glass in a single color i don't know why i feel like that couldn't have existed when this is taking place but i just don't and so you see like the light beaming through that on the floor it's like very beautiful He's in, you know, he's contemplating in prayer. And then, boom! (laughs) Sexy Jesus. Sexy Jesus. Why are his robes open to reveal this ripped chest? Okay, I was asking Mac about this. Because Mac used to be an altar boy. And he knows things about the Catholic Church. And I really don't know anything. And I was like, why do depictions of Jesus always show him having great abs? Is it because they don't think we'll follow someone that hasn't... (laughs) defined their as a dad bod that has like just even they didn't bother to like define their ab muscles they were like no it's okay to have like a tiny bit of body fat no jesus has not you see every (laughs) and every time he's he's hanging out on the cross (laughs) chilling you see every ab muscle there he's got like an eight pack right did did Mac have an answer for this? Well, he said that that had, was not always the way that Jesus had been depicted. And like in older depictions, he's always wearing a robe. Uh-huh. And then at some point... Because why does he need to be half naked? Like, this is my question about the reenactment. Is it's not necessary for Jesus to have his robe open and to like reveal lo- his chest at all. <laughs> let alone to be completely ripped. And have a loincloth and his hair like flowing. The little loincloth. He's not even wearing like a traditional robe. It's like a tiny little short skirt. And then, yeah, just like ripped abs, which he has nice abs. Show him off, I guess. It just doesn't make sense. That's what that was Jesus. He was just real vain, strutting around. I mean, I feel like anytime you see Jesus on a crucifix, he is shirtless in a loincloth looking real like heroin chic i guess that um, makes a little more i mean you got you want to see the side wound right so like, right maybe that right. makes a little more sense with- and this story does involve the stigmata so maybe that's why he's shirtless well his sides aren't covered up though because he's wearing a robe it's just open <laughs> like i mean <laughs> I'm really grasping at straws. That's, it doesn't actually. I, also, this involves like most. I think mostly hand and possibly foot, but mostly hand stigmata. So there's there's no reason why Jesus couldn't be wearing like a like a sweatshirt from a national park or <laughs> even just close up the robe. I don't know. I mean, I feel like <laughs> maybe they just needed an excuse to show off this man's. Maybe maybe like a Minnesota Vikings jersey. I don't know. Sure. Um, <laughs> That's very 1910. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he appears like he's Fabio on a <laughs> on a Daniel Steele novel, or like his hair is flowing. He's he's literally glowing, obviously, because he's Jesus. 
hilarious to be the actor that got this job because (laughs) his only role was just to like stand there and look i don't know divine have like a divine look on his face hold his arms out and then they just kind of like fade away he was there for two seconds i always meant to watch this movie i can't even remember what it's called it might just be called like mary where christian bale plays jesus and it was like right after he did american psycho okay so he must be so fucking ripped just I bet like he probably wears this jesus's outfit well why do you think i've considered watching it <laughs> i mean i sense. i never have i've never actually done it i should probably just watch it with the sound off yeah. now, that, now that i'm talking about it i go oh hmm. <laughs> i know what to do yeah Anyway, he sees Rip to Jesus and sexy Jesus fades away. And <laughs> after, after the vision ends, he notices that his hands, oh, and his feet, um, and his side are bleeding. This phenomenon is called stigmata, as Liz said, and it's believed to correspond with the wounds that Jesus received while on the cross. Have you ever seen the movie Stigmata? No, that's a I really haven't. stupid question because I don't really think anyone's seen it, but. <laughs> I saw it when it came out and like Did it leave you with any insights into the phenomenon noticed? No. I mean I, I could like tell you where the wounds are, I guess. It's um oh my god, what is her name? Now I have to look this up. This movie came out in like ninety nine or two thousand and it's got the most like nineties um music video editing. Like the whole movie <laughs> looks like that, which is why at the time I was like, Wow, this is so cool. Okay, it's Patricia Arquette. Okay. who is suffering the stigmata in this 1999 movie where sure. Gabriel Byrne, of course, is the priest. I feel like they only have him play priest. Portia de Rossi was in this? Since when? Okay, <laughs> okay I'm going to have to rewatch this. But yeah, basically she just like su- suffers the stigmata and then, I don't know. You're supposed to learn that like Jesus isn't about the church or something. It does actually have kind of like a religious message. Interesting. Weirdly enough. I've I I definitely have, couldn't name it, but I've definitely watched like a History Channel show about Sigmata, Uh, because of course, so traditional depictions of Jesus or de- traditional depiction of crucifixion shows the nails going through the hands, but that's not mm, actually how they yeah. crucify people because that's not like this is graphic, but like you, the weight of your body like would just pull through the flesh of your hand and you would fall off the cross. They would drive the nails through the wrists so which is in all likelihood that's how jesus would have been crucified is with the nails through the wrist so the fact that stigmata always appear on the hands is odd you would think that it would appear you know in the correct place on the body which i believe this is addressed in the movie and she was actually getting wounds in her wrist oh interesting yeah because she was like well that can't be right because then why is it here and the priest is like oh Little do you know that if you were hung up by your hands, it would just you would just fall off. Right. So I mean that's why I think a lot of stigmata is people are well not the only reason, but why a lot of people are skeptical of stigmata. But anyway, he was getting it in his hands. 
Um, so we're told that from the start, some church officials doubted Padre Pio's claims. They suspected that the wounds had been self-inflicted, so they called in doctors to examine him. One of the doctors conducted an experiment. He asked the friars to bandage the wounds and seal them for eight days, expecting that when the wounds were removed, the wounds would be healed. Um, when the bandages were removed, there was no signs of healing, um, which suggested that Padre Pio's claims to them it suggested that they were legitimate um they show pictures yeah that's kind of an interesting thing is that we have this is a recent enough case that there's photos of this right yeah so there's there's photos of and they look i mean gnarly is like so i didn't realize initially when i was watching this that he had this stigmata for like the rest of his life so this started when he was in his 20s um or well no he's in his his 1918 so like yeah maybe his early 30s um and he he had these for the rest of his life and one of the pictures in particular that they showed looked like it looked like yeah. it was infected or something it's very bumpy and gross yeah, what a thing to live with it sounds incredibly painful that's what happens when god likes you i guess if you're god's favorite you're gonna have an <laughs> unsightly wound on your hand i mean in that case i'd never want to be god's favorite of course i wouldn't be but i was gonna say samantha don't worry it's not really a concern (laughs) of mine samantha you're safe (laughs) i'm safe from the stigmata yeah so as word spread um about his stigmata and his vision pilgrims began to come um to where they were i'm not gonna try and pronounce this um they were anxious to be blessed by Padre Pio due to both positive and negative publicity the church sent him to an internal exile uh which prevented him from appearing in public and complete and completing his priestly duties this Um, could not be what Jesus wanted yeah I don't this part I didn't really understand (laughs) um but I guess they they didn't like the publicity I mean honestly no one told them that even bad publicity (laughs) is good publicity he had some doubters. He had yeah. some haters in the church, for sure. Yeah. After three years, the exile ended and he was returned to his position. However, he was not allowed to show his stigmata in public. As the years passed, Padre Pio developed a reputation as a man of miracles, and thousands of people came to him seeking divine intervention for their afflictions. Um, and we are told about two people. Um, so the first is uh, we hear from Vera Marie Caladandra. What a name. Calandra. Calandra. I'm honestly not sure. Um, Vera Marie was born in 1966 and had congenital defects of the kidneys and urinary tract. After two years and several operations, the doctors told her parents that she was not going to live. Her bladder had to be removed and she was fitted with a catheter. Her parents were still hopeful for a miracle, however, and her mother sent Vera, uh, her mother sent a telegram to Padre Pio asking for his help. One day she experienced a sudden fragrance of fresh roses and she says that she heard his voice telling her to bring vera marie to italy to visit him this is how i want to receive all messages from now on a sudden fragrance of fresh roses Uh sounds lovely (laughs) on september 1st 1968 vera and her ill daughter arrived at padre pio's church after a brief encounter with him the two returned the next day and were granted a 
a rare private meeting with him in which he blessed Vera Marie and her mother knew that a miracle had occurred. Two weeks later, Vera Marie's doctor discovered that part of her bladder remained in her body. And amazingly, she soon recovered. This is like wild to me. I don't even know. This is possible. It, um, I don't like. Did it regenerate? Is she a, a starfish? Like they only removed part of it, and the other like regrow, regrew. I don't even. I don't know even possible. Re- I didn't even really fully understand why they took it out. Like they took it out, and they told the mom they took it out, and the mom was like, "But how is she going to live without a bladder?" And they went, "Oh, she's not." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> okay." That is a really harsh way to tell the mom your child is going to die. Yeah, well, now she's an adult and has no evidence of ill the illness that nearly killed her as a child. I feel well, like this might have just been, like, really incompetent surgery where they they went in to do something and just, like, didn't do did it. something else. I, I don't, don't know. know what they took out, but maybe it was not her bladder. <laughs> Bizarre. Bizarre. So the next story we hear is about Paul Walsh. In December 1983, Paul, who was then a high school senior, was severely injured in a car accident. His skull was crushed and almost all of the bones in his face were broken. Whoa. At the time, Dr. Also, I felt bad for him that they showed his like high school yearbook photo and it's real bad. <laughs> it was. Not because so, I would of- never want my high school yearbook photos shown on national TV. Oh my god. I hope <laughs> boy. But yeah, if they're showing my uh, high, sp- high school senior photo, I hope you like those chokers that are like a fa- fake tattoo <laughs> yep. that came back a little while ago. And yep. I'm like weirdly like leaning on a mirror in front of a gold curtain. I okay, mean, I, well, I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't pick that. That's just the like setup, but it's like so bizarre. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So at the time of his accident, doctors gave him almost no chance of survival and he lapsed into a coma after developing spinal meningitis. Ugh. I know. At his bedside, his mother Betty read a prayer by Padre Pio. At the same time, Paul's arms appeared to reach for his forehead and it appeared as if he was making the sign of the cross. Betty wild. Con- I know. Betty contacted the National Center for Padre Pio and talked to Harry. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> is this the same? Is this person related to Vera Marie? This is Harry Calandra. Oh, maybe. I don't understand. That's not, that's like a very unique name. Anyway, Harry came to visit Paul. Um, he placed a glove worn by Padre Pio on Paul's head and recited the prayer, um, a prayer to Padre Pio. Almost immediately, Paul's body jolted and he briefly awoke from his coma. The next day, Betty returned and found Paul awake and moving. As if he were back to normal. He later described having a vision of Padre Pio that occurred while he was in the hospital. Surprisingly, his roommate claimed to have seen him as well, and today Paul is alive and well and believes that Padre Pio helped save his life. It is amazing that the other person in a, in a hospital bed saw him too. Yeah. Um, that's a really wild story. <clears throat> Um. Yeah. So that's the the story of of Padre Pio. Uh, I really like this one. I like the sexy Jesus. I like that these two people are like completely better. I mean, it's a miracle of some degree, right? Like, yeah. Whether you want to, if you even if you don't have any religious leanings, like myself, <clears throat> it's like um a a miracle. You would say it's a miracle they survived or whatever, right? So I pulled up the Unsolved Mysteries wiki, which, first of all, this Padre Pio's occupation is priest slash mystic. I don't know if that's fair. I don't, I don't know. 
know that he would appreciate being called a mystic. I don't think so at all. Also, I'm not sure if that, honestly, that might be disrespectful. I'm not really sure. But my question was if Padre Pio ever became a saint. And the answer is yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. On June 16th, 2002, Pope John Paul II elevated Padre Pio to sainthood. That's a very, um, there's very few like recent yeah. additions to sainthood or however you phrase that. So that's an that's an interesting one. It's interesting that there's photos of the stigmata, even though it really varies what it looks like by photo, to be honest. Like one of them is super gnarly, and then one sort of looks like he has a circle of ketchup on his hand. So Yeah, the like the the pictures where he was posed looked like someone drew them on with a Sharpie. And then there's another <laughs> photo that looks like I mean, his whole hand is covered in blood. And then, yeah, there was one that looks like all crusted over. It and... looks like he has the hand of a lizard. Yes. So it looks look gross and painful. I don't know what kind of miracle it is where you start. I don't know what kind of anamorphs, you know, miracle. <laughs> this is where going you to be the next, the next saint is going to be an anamorph. This is going to be a modern saint. Saint anamorph. Yes, that would be amazing. What animal would they be morphing into? Okay, ju- just the- I have animorphs on the brain. I don't even know why because I'm not the right age for those. Like I was too old when those came out. Oh, so I was. But I was just I'm just fascinated by the covers, I guess. And um, well, they're fucking hilarious. <laughs> so I one of them is a person morphing into a sea star, starfish, whatever. Was that um, an actual? Was that a real? Yeah, yes so i was like what the fuck could possibly be happening in the sea star book and the description of it is so funny it's like about how reach the character rachel who's apparently in these books can like morphs into a, a star and like is regenerating limbs but then that like leads to there being two <laughs> rachels or something <laughs> fascinating okay um, I really liked that. Segment. Oh my god! Okay, so I googled animorphs, and the first one that came up was the sea star one. I don't know how I've never seen this one. I really was, yeah, I, yeah. I was never really into these books, but <laughs> apparently they're all about like how um these like this. Someone was explaining this to me. It's about this like group of kids and how they have to like team together to fight aliens, and they have the power to like morph into animals. But I guess they are always morphing into like the same ones. So I don't really understand the covers, but. If you have never seen the Sea Star Animorph book, please stop what you're doing and Google it because it is wild. If anybody wants to make an image of Samantha morphing into a sea star, please do. No, a shark. Oh, you want a shark. You're like, no, Liz. (laughs) Shark. I'm morphing into a shark. Okay. All right. I'll morph into the sea star then. Or squid. I I see a coloring book, coloring sheet in our future of... (laughs) An that sounds hard. I'll, that sounds hard, but I'll try. Okay. Um, I have a wanted. This uh, has a hilarious reenactment in it, but it's unfortunately a very sad case. So it's one of those where you feel morally conflict- conflicted because you're going to laugh, but it's you're also extremely tragic. Like, yeah, it's horrible. Could not be more <laughs> tragic. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is takes place in the Angeles National Forest, which is. 700,000 acres of preserved land just 30 minutes outside of Los Angeles. So we start with uh, February 29th, 1992. A man named Jeff, we never learned his last name. I don't know if he was like worried about getting murdered or what. We see his face, but he's just called Jeff. 
was exploring the campground area when quote Robert Stack calls him an off-road enthusiast. Yeah, I did write that down because I what don't is even that about. He was just like driving a normal car. Yeah, it's not a he like, wasn't hiking. He wasn't like four wheeler or something. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I do not understand. It looks like a crummy Volkswagen Bug, which I feel like is actually going to get stuck in like basically anything. Not, so, that wouldn't be the right choice for an off-road enthusiast. Yeah, anyway, we'll just call him Jeff because I'm not sure what Robert Stack was talking about. Um, Robert Stack says that he was exploring the campground area when, quote, his curiosity led him into a mystery. Okay, so now we get to the reenactment, which is unintentionally hilarious. Um, he makes eye contact with this beautiful woman, and then, like, a second later, these three funky dudes that are, like, only a step away from cavemen. It's like you put clothes on cavemen. Also, I don't know. I'm assuming he described what he saw to the Unsolved Mysteries producers and they produced the reenactment accordingly. This woman is like clearly tied up. Yeah, like her her hands are behind her and she's sitting at kind of an awkward angle. And she's obviously just sit- tied up. <laughs> just like, obviously there. tied up. And then these like cavemen with jeans on pop out of nowhere <laughs> it's a real almost like non-deformed hills have eyes type of thing where yeah they come out it's like the dudes in the x-files episode home and they're like banging on the car saying what you looking at man what you looking at blah, blah. and they get they run his car out of the area right he, like he leaves because he's so freaked out and his explanation is like oh i just thought you know it's kind of weird but uh, maybe they were just defending their campsite. Like, that's a thing you need to do? Defend your campsite? I mean, to be fair, I don't know what you would do with this information. I guess you would go tell a park ranger or something. But I would think you'd tell someone. I don't know, but maybe not. He, he apparently didn't really think that much of it. Maybe he thought they were just on drugs. Like, and he didn't want to say that. I don't know. But, um... it basically, Essentially, he got really bad bad vibes, but he was like, I'm not sure that's a crime. Uh, but yeah, I, but anyway, he does, he feels really bad about it. So I don't know. I feel bad for him too. Um, let's see what happens here. Yes. They were protecting their campsite. So March 3, 3rd, March 3, go to March 3, 1993, just over a, a year later, the Los Angeles coroner was called to investigate a possible murder site in the Angeles for- National Forest, approximately 50 yards from the spot where Jeff saw this beautiful woman's skeletal remains were discovered. The remains were identified via dental records as missing person, 20-year-old Kimberly Pandilos who had vanished a year before. Kimberly uh, was an immigrant to the U.S. uh, with her family from Cuba at the age of eight. They had lived in Pennsylvania until Kimberly got married at 19 years old. Her, her husband, and their baby had moved to Northridge, California. Kimberly was a business student and also worked part-time as a model. Jeff this off-road enthusiast saw the news coverage regarding the discovered remains and realized from the photo that Kimberly was the girl that he saw at the campsite. He took two sheriff's deputies to the spot where he had seen her, but you know, over a year's past, there wasn't any evidence. Um, back in February of 92, we learned that one day before Jeff saw Kimberly, a burned out car was discovered on the side of the road near the campground section of the Angeles National Forest. The fire was started on the passenger side, front seat of the car. Um, apparently this was Kimberly's car. Uh, by the time authorities contacted her husband, he had already reported her missing. 
There were really no clues discovered in or around the car as to what happened. Later, I think pretty soon after that, two hikers found uh, a notebook of Kimberly's under a bridge and handed it over to the police, but it didn't have any fingerprints or other helpful clues. They spoke to her son's babysitter, and she said that the day Kimberly went missing, there was a call to the house from someone named Paul around 2 p.m., and he said he had an appointment with Kimberly and that he wanted to confirm it. He later called again around 7, but Kimberly still wasn't home. Um, so the question was, did she go to the Angeles Forest to meet someone? Is that what this this appointment was about they also couldn't find her like day planner um that would have like said who this what this appointment was with so they were looking for that um but it wasn't i think there was a burned notebook in her car and then there was this other notebook found by hikers but there was a third one that would have had her schedule but they couldn't find that one um she had told her husband that she was scheduled to do an outdoor photo shoot it is believed that she responded to an ad in a local paper only to be abducted by the three men Jeff saw. And then there's this like very silly reenactment of her getting out of the car, like being a total babe, coming up to this person being like, hi, I'm Kimberly. Like, are you so-and-so? And then him immediately pulling out a gun and then two guys like jumping out of bushes and then being like, come on, guys, we got her. These reenactments. Oh I mean, God. I... This reenactment is so silly for what is honestly, like, the most terrifying thing that could happen to you. Like, this poor woman. Um, so then we hear from Jeff, who laments that he didn't know that she was in trouble, and he f- feels really bad about it. And, Jeff, this isn't your fault. This is, like, an extremely weird situation. But, yeah, also, like, I'm not sure what you thought was happening. Um, okay, so, but there is an update to this. Uh, I'm going to read from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. It's kind of long. Um, so it has been solved. Photographer Charles Rathburn was considered a suspect in this case after he was arrested for Linda Sobeck's murder. Both murders were ev- eerily similar. Both victims were young, attractive, aspiring models and had been lured to a scheduled area for the promises of a photo shoot. They were found just five miles of each other within the Na- Angeles National Forest. Also, a witness came forward claiming to have seen Rathburn with Kimberly at Denny's. You know, when you're taking your model meetings at Denny's. Um, Where else would you meet with models? (laughs) However, he was eventually cleared of the case. In 2004, authorities arrested a convicted sex offender named David Raidmaker in Kimberly's murder. Authorities now believe he is the quote Paul who called on the phone that he was supposed to she was supposed to meet the day she disappeared. Authorities found phone records that showed that he called her shortly before she disappeared. At the time, he allegedly ran a prostitution service and a phone sex line. Okay, it's kind of irrelevant. Um, Rainmaker had mentioned Kimberly's murder to his girlfriend. What? Why? <laughs> okay keep her in line i guess uh, um multiple times interestingly one time they were watching the broadcast and he stated that the theory presented on it about multiple men abducting kimberly was wrong oh interesting on another occasion he told his girlfriend that he would kill her okay i guess that's why he brought it up like the young model that he had raped after she resisted his advances in the forest oh god 
and that that one time they had gone there he had checked the area where he had killed kimberly and found that her remains were still there wow what a catch okay he confessed to his girlfriend that kimberly had pleaded with him to let her go saying she wouldn't go to the police and he stated that he didn't believe her so he drowned her in a nearby creek oh my gosh he also claimed that he had met her through the personals um his girlfriend stated that she was afraid of him yeah no shit it didn't tell the police about his confession and other statements until 2004 Authorities questioned a Cynthia had done on. God, I'm so sorry. Uh, another of his girlfriends. She stated that he had taken her to Kimberly's car on the night of February 28th, 1992. He said he then set fire to it. He had her phone calls. She had had her phone calls recorded in an attempt to get him to confess. Oh, that's cool. Um, He admitted to burning Kimberly's car, but had denied killing her. In the end, the jury didn't believe him. He was convicted of his murder, and he was sentenced to a life in prison without the possibility of parole. Authorities now believe that Jeff was mistaken about his sighting and that the woman he saw was not Kimberly. Really? 50 yards away? Okay. In those suspicious circumstances, that was not connected? What the hell's going on in this forest? I don't know. That's wild. I don't, I'm not sure I believe that. No, but, do I. But maybe the other two men weren't involved in the murder. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe they were involved in the abduction or the, the sexual assault. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they were involved to a degree, but yeah. not involved in the actual killing. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, what a fucking nightmare. And yeah, this woman, this poor woman, has a fucking like little baby at home and has just gotten married. And I mean, the whole thing sucks. It, 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 it when I was watching this, and they kept talking about like how beautiful she was, which always happens when young women die. And I was kind of like, you know, what fucking difference does that make? But also, then it occurs to me, if I'm brutally murdered, I do hope people go on and on about how hot I am. Oh, yeah, same. So that made me feel like a little bit. In better. fact, you're required to tell everybody how hot I uh, I was. It's like, oh, I really, it's so sad. Samantha was snuffed out. I mean, she was just a babe. <laughs> she was just an absolute babe. Like I, the other night was talking about Cleopatra for some reason, and then I was like, man, that woman was such a fucking babe that we're still talking about it thousands of years later. Like, what a legend. No kidding. So, and also, I mean, maybe the the fact that she was like so beautiful and you know was a model and so like maybe that is part of why she was picked so it's not well, like I mean, totally it also, irrelevant i mean it's relevant to jeff's story right because like he immediately was like that's the babe i saw in the forest like how many babes are out there in the forest you know what i mean like it, well, it, clearly it, it, this is why i'm certain that he did see her because who else would it have been it's 50 yards away at the same time yeah like it's at the same time she would have been killed and it, it also explains why he would remember. Yeah, like, he seriously, like, he's driving his car. There's, like, no one around. And then all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, hubba hubba. Like, and he's making, like, probably if people hadn't come out, he would have, like, gotten out of his car and chatted her up, right? Like, right. that's why he remembers. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, when I mysteriously vanish, be sure to be like, it's just a saint shame. She was really hot. <laughs> we'll never see that hotness again. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, Kimberly. That really fucking sucks. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that guy is in prison forever. I mean, honestly, I hope he dies. Um, but and you know what else sucks that I have to talk about an investigator's <laughs> segment. I know we're celebrating the coroner. Just what you wanted to do on this beautiful day. Celebrate <laughs> the the coroner. <laughs> Robert Sachs, like it's time to talk about the unsung heroes of law enforcement that don't get nearly enough credit. And I'm like, oh my god, Stack, shut up. <laughs> The coroner. Ugh. Do you think if Robert Stack was alive today, he would have the like Punisher Blue Flives Matter as his How phone case? You? How dare you? <laughs> okay, that's a no. <laughs> no, he, even if he was sympathetic it's, to law enforcement, which he probably tacky. would be, he would never it's, be. He would be caught dead with something so tacky. You're right. That's too tacky for him. He would have a solid gold phone case. What am I talking absolutely. about? Yes, absolutely. Or he would just have. He wouldn't have a phone. You know. Oh he, yeah. His assistant would take care of that. Kind of hot. Yeah. It's like I, I'm so rich. I don't even need that. Right. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so this is, we're talking about two investigators that are two coroners, um, which I don't, do people know the difference between a coroner and a medical examiner and why coroners are problematic? Probably. I, I you can remind everyone. So a coroner is someone who's tip in the U S this is the coroner system is like a lay person who usually, you know, they may or may not have medical training. I think a lot of times they don't and they are um, elected or appointed to a position and they can do like uh, investigations into deaths. Um, so, but they're not, I feel like sometimes people have a mistaken understanding of court. Like they, they conflate the two, a coroner and a medical examiner. Coroners are, it's like a political position um it's and they're empowered weird. by law to do death investigations but they may or may not and oftentimes don't have any medical training whatsoever it's very weird it's it, a weird system it defies common sense it's like why would you let just like can i just go do that i guess if i get elected yeah it's just me stumbling around basing everything on things i've seen on tv like think about how little sense that makes where I'm like, I've watched a lot of Law and Order. I think I can figure this out. Like that's essentially what happened. Yeah, it's it's wild. So, and a medical examiner, by contrast, is always a physician. Um, right. So they have specialized training um, to be able to conduct autopsies and death investigations. And I mean, I think the medical examiner system is largely considered the modern system, um, but we still have lots of coroners in the U.S. Um, and for some reason, unsolved mysteries thinks that they're unsung heroes. Listen, I just love the bitterness in your voice. <laughs> anyway. You're, you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is, but it's wrong. <laughs> I also just, I don't know. Do I dislike investigator segments more than treasure segments? It's a, it's a toss-up, but man, I really don't like these segments. It's a, it's a race for last place. This one, although I will say, this is a little bit also like unexplained death. We're highlighting two cases here. Um, so Robert Stack says when a coroner is called to the scene of an unexplained death, it's his job to identify who the John and Jane Doe's are and how they died. Um, it's and- his job to make wild speculative guesses. Yeah. <laughs> On the morning of October 5th, 1983, two lifeguards discovered the body of a young boy. He was floating in a channel near the ocean at Seal Beach, California. 
And according to the lifeguards, the body was so badly decomposed that it made identification impossible. Mm. So we meet coroner, coroner's investigator Joe Lucky. He was sent to the scene. And, okay, again, that is not a real name. Joe, Joe Lucky. Lucky. That's like it a- definitely sounds like a name you're given by your motorcycle gang. It sounds like an Elvis character to me. <laughs> it sounds Lucky. like what Elvis is probably called in Viva Las Vegas. Actually, I'm <laughs> totally going to look that up. But he always has names like that. Joe Lucky. Yeah. Elvis, Viva Las Vegas. Let's see what his character name was. Oh, he was Lucky Jackson. Okay. <laughs> Not far off. <laughs> I knew it had Lucky in it. <laughs> so funny. So, uh, Joe Lucky found no evidence of foul play. In fact, an autopsy later revealed that the boy had drowned. Um, which I don't think necessarily rules out foul play, but um, who the boy was no, but, and where he came from. He didn't even know that. He was like, wait, murder can happen by drowning? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it definitely can. Uh, so the boy, uh, who he was and where he came from was a baffling mystery. So Joe Lucky says that sometimes it takes a while uh, to get over the fact you can't identify people. And you tend to think about your own families and how there's someone out there who's missing a relative. Which is a good sentiment. Uh, Joe sent a description of the boy to every law enforcement agency in the area. Only one possible match turned up. It was of a boy who had disappeared from Fullerton, California. Fullerton was 16 miles from where the body was discovered, but Joe still met with the boy's parents. They told him that their son had vanished shortly after leaving for a neighborhood park. um, And he searched the park for clues. What he found was that there was a flood control channel adjacent to the park, um, and there was a lot of rainfall the day he disappeared, so that flood control district had opened a local dam and allowed the overflow to come through the channel, um, making it about six feet higher than normal. So what they eventually figured out was that the young boy had tragically fallen into the flood channel and was swept 16 miles to Seal Beach. Blood samples later provided a positive identification um, and the mystery had been solved. So yeah, it seems like tragically he probably fell into the the flood channel, which sucks. They should really like fence that off. It's like right by a park. Mm. Okay, so the next... I do appreciate that he looked into it, even when it kind of seemed impossible. I will say that I I do feel like both of these are examples of decent investigations. So good for for that. But that's how fucking low the bar is, though. (laughs) Like, like, oh, they actually did their job, the job they're supposed to do. Yeah. You would hope that's what always happens, but it's actually so rare that it has to be highlighted on television and, like, applauded. It's like, oh, my God, they actually figured out who this unidentified corpse was. And you're like, they don't usually? Oh, okay. If you want to read a book, you have to have a strong stomach for this. I really liked the book, but it is rage-inducing. If you want to see an example of why the corner system is so not it's so problematic uh the cadaver king and the country dentist oh yeah you've talked about that yeah it's a a very well done book it's hard to read it goes over it goes over things like um bite mark evidence for example yeah um, and how a lot um anyway it's a wild story and it's rage inducing and it will it really outlines why (laughs) the systems uh are broken Anyway, the next guy we talk about is Cullen Edinburgh. He was a coroner in Orange County at the time. Um, you want to know the name of his mustache? 
what would what did you name his nuts that's what i'm looking at right now super smug super smug it's a very standard cop mustache he just came off as so smug to me yeah um he, yeah i think he was i mean i think you know it's probably made his life being profiled as an unsung hero and unsolved mystery. oh of course i mean, he's sure he never shut up about it <laughs> So he was a coroner in Orange County at the time of the boy's disappearance. Um, and he describes being a coroner as a mixture of a surgeon, a detective, and an attorney. Yeah, he's really patting himself on the back hard there. I feel like those are like three jo- Like, you know, the saying of, you know, you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> I don't want a surgeon that's also a detective and an attorney. I want your only job to be a surgeon. Right, right, right. I don't need to use multitasking yeah focus with, a little like, yeah my attorney's off doing taking someone's appendix out i want them focused on my case <laughs> oh samantha i'm sorry i can't be in court today for your um moving violation i'm actually taking out someone's kidney <laughs> and putting in goat testicles we and you're like no, no 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 the goat testicles anyway he says every day is a challenge yeah, it would be doing three jobs at once. <laughs> so Colin Edinburgh has worked on literally thousands of cases. Some take months of painstaking research and legwork. Others are solved solely on the basis of one small piece of evidence. In one case, um, has haunted him uh, since May 18, 1987. That morning, the body of a woman in her early 20s was found at the bottom of a steep cliff in Southern California. According to Enberg, the woman had apparently fallen to her death sometime during the night. Um, so they weren't sure if it was an accident, if she had been pushed. They went to the top of the cliff and they found a small purse and a half-consumed soda and a map of Southern California. She didn't even get to finish that soda. I know. Damn. Mm-hmm. Hopefully she's in heaven where she can have a cold Coke. Oh, Absolutely. So strangely, there was nothing else in her purse. Um, The map, though, led Colin to the last person who saw her alive because there was a phone number written on the map. It was the phone number of a cab company, and the cab company um, indicated that they had a fare. Uh, They picked her up uh, in the area and dropped her off in the area of Dana Point Cliffs uh, for that morning. I am not impressed with this cab driver. I realize we see in the reenactment that she tells him, like, how far is it going to take? Or, like, how much money does it cost to get to this point? And he says $20, which at this time I feel like is a lot. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I only have 18 And he, like, huffs and puffs. <laughs> and she's like, okay, can you just, like, take me as far as $18 goes? And he's like, I guess. Like, <laughs> Why can you that not get, get zero dollars? Why? Why? Why can you not? Also, he just drops her off in the middle of the night and the side of the road in the middle of fucking nowhere. And Four in the morning. He's gonna have to go to her destination to possibly pick up another fare. Just take her the rest of the way. Yeah. Ugh. That's really a dick move. Um. So the cab driver said that she had little to say. Uh, she was quiet. He didn't notice anything unusual. Yeah, about of course her she didn't that. have to anything to say. You're a jerk. Yeah, he's a dick, and it's four in the morning. Uh, so the next day, the young wo- woman's body was found at the base of the cliff. Um, they describe her, and the- she had light brown hair, brown eyes, wearing what appeared to be a s- to be. I don't know how they know this. Wearing what appeared to be secondhand clothing. I wrote that down too, and I'm guaranteeing that's going to be sad when I my body's found. <laughs> she appeared to be wearing secondhand clothing. 
this clothing could only be from a thrift store. And they're like, <laughs> how do you know she didn't just buy that 10 years ago? And they're like, no, mm, no. <laughs> Maybe they still had the Goodwill tags on them. <laughs> that would be the only explanation. They were like, oh, blue tag day. I see. <laughs> She, strangely she was wearing a pair of men's underwear but i mean i don't know maybe, maybe she just liked men's underwear maybe it's more comfortable yeah um so for colin edinburgh the case of the unidentified jane doe has never left him um he says this is the first jane doe that i've had that i was unable to identify and i've continued to work this case occasionally a new lead will come up and i'll follow up but to this date i have been unsuccessful and there isn't a week that i don't that doesn't oh, there isn't a week that goes by that I don't think about this lady. I want to identify her and find out who she is and who she belongs to. So there is an update, which is that uh, after remaining a mystery for 26 years, the case has finally been solved. The remains were positively identified thanks to DNA testing as those of Holly Jo Glynn. She was 21 years old when she died and her death was ruled a suicide. That's so sad. I know. It is really sad. So that was that. Yeah. Um, okay, we're just gonna move on. Unfortunately, I have one of those family lost someone in a war and is convinced they're alive stories. I was thinking as I was watching this, like, how many more times we have to do this? This one is almost slightly more interesting, but it's kind of not. It's kind of the same story over and over again. But anyway, the Christmas of 1943 was hard on the Lazarus family in Baltimore. On December 14th, Okay, also, before I get into this, I hate the way that Unsolved Mysteries presented the story because essentially Robert Stack introduces the segment and then they go through all of it again. And I don't know if that's just fucking padding. I don't know. Or what. But when I took my notes, I had to, like, consolidate them because I was like, I'm going to just be on the podcast saying the same thing people have already heard. So I, I don't really appreciate that. But anyway, on December 14th, 1943, they learned that their eldest son, Sylvan, was missing in action it was the height of world war ii and an american b-24 bomber was on a non-combat combat mission which i don't even really understand what that means when it went down over north africa and the entire crew was lost the plane had been headed to casablanca but crashed into the atlas mountains among the passengers lost were three men sylvan lazarus Carl Cobb and Bernard Brady. Three weeks later, the military reported to his family that he was dead. We hear from his younger brother, Arnold, who was 17 at the time, and the whole family was just crushed. They had really loved Sylvan, and apparently he was a great guy. Sylvan and the other soldiers were reportedly buried in a mass grave. That's what they were told by the military. However, after that, a photograph appeared in the newspaper, The Baltimore Mirror, which showed four men being interrogated by a German officer. This is what always happens, is that there's some grainy photo that comes out yes. taken after the their loved one has supposedly died, and then they're convinced that they're still alive. So this is, we see this photo, it is not a clear photo. It had The contrast of it is very intense. Um, there's like no grays, it's just black and white. Um, so it's kind of hard to see real good. And I get that this looks a lot like Sylvan, like... Sorry, Sylvan, you had pretty big ears. And the person in this photo has pretty big ears. And they said, like, the posture was the same. And, like, the, the expression on his face looked like him and stuff like that. But, again, it's not a good photo. No. And if you really want to believe that your loved one is alive, are you going to see them in a grainy photo, maybe? Yeah. Someone I, who kind of looks like them. I think it's natural for your brain to make that kind of connection. Yeah. Um, 
we're like kind of hardwired to see faces everywhere. Like you make two, why is two dots and a little half circle a smiley face? Like right. <laughs> right. that's the way that your brain works. So particularly for this lost love that you want to see again, you're, yeah, you're going to do that. Um, and it did look kind of look like him. I'm, it's not an unreasonable um, conclusion, except that someone's probably dead. Um, it also didn't really make sense because Nazis had been driven out of the area where the plane crashed seven months prior. So the, for the explanation to be like, oh, the plane crashed and somehow he survived and then the Nazis got him. It's like, well, but they weren't there. So like... So then, like, the whole story would have to not be true. Um, the Lazarus family made copies of the photograph and sent it to 13 other families who had lost something in the plane crash. Incredibly, both Carl Cobb and Bernard Brady, who were supposedly dead, were identified in the photo. Which this, of course, only bolsters the Lazarus family thinking that that's their son. And they're going through the same thing, too, right? Um also, their last name was Lazarus. So, of course, they think their son is going to come back from the dead. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to say that. It's just, like, built into their disposition. disposition. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Sylvan's dad keeps trying to contact the government and the Red Cross, but he doesn't get any answers. Not really. He was first told they were all buried together at the Casablanca European Cemetery. He was later told that they had been dug up and reburied in the Al-Anon Cemetery in Algeria, which, why? There was not really a reason for that. Uh, Brother Arnold suspects that the government doesn't really know what went down. And you know what? That's probably true, Arnold. Um, the, the Lazarus family concocted this story of what they think happens in order for the photo to be accurate, which would require that the plane was actually shot down during a secret mission in Europe and not North Africa, and that some passengers parachuted out of the plane only to be captured. Arnold worried that Nazis discovered that Sylvan was Jewish and was sent to a concentration camp instead of a POW camp, which what a fucking nightmare to think that's what happened to your loved one. Like, I know. Dear God. So despite the passage of 50 years at the time that the segment was filmed, his family was continuing to search for clues for his fate. Through the Now, this is the part that I found more interesting than some of these other very similar stories. Through the Freedom of Information Act, they obtained an original passenger list from the flight. Suspiciously, the names of the three men in the photo were the only names with check marks by their name and were even numbered one, two, and three. Which only led to the family being like, yes, these are the men in the photo and they're still alive. Okay. But also, that could be them checking. Yeah, like that could mean literally anything. That it doesn't... Could be. <laughs> like, you... These three families have reported that those are the people in this photo. Like, someone probably looked into it at some point and were like, these three names. Okay. Like, it doesn't literally mean they're alive and they're fine. Uh, yeah, um, no. <laughs> update. Okay, so that's the segment. The update is that after the story aired, a viewer called in to report that he was actually one of the rescue workers at the crash site in the Atlas Mountains. And he talked directly to Arnold Lazarus and explained that his brother could not have survived the impact of the crash. There's just not possible for there to be any survivors. Um, and that Arnold now believes that that's not his brother in the photo after all. Okay. I hope that brings Arnold some peace. He was very upset that his parents had died without knowing what had happened to their son. That clearly really bothered him. Um, so they did kind of know, actually. And I hope that that 
I hope that helps him. I also hope it helps him that his brother didn't get sent to a concentration camp. Yeah. Probably just, yeah. Probably died instantly. You know, like he didn't right. suffer. Right. Um, I suppose if you're a real conspiracy theorist, you'll say that this person that called in was not a rescue worker and it was someone from the military and they were like, stop looking into this, Arnold. Oh my God. <laughs> but you know what? I just, Arnold seemed like a nice guy and I hope this brought him some peace and. He's not, regardless of what happened to him, he's he's, dead. He's not. He's dead. And if this brings his family some peace, Uh, then yeah, I know. But yeah, he probably just died because his plane was shot down. And you know that sucks. But yeah, I I just take some solace that your your loved one killed some Nazis, and yeah, try to move on. Move on. Sadly, Arnold has since passed away. Uh, okay, so that's the end. That's the end of this episode. Should we Let's read it? Home. I think we have to. Okay, mysteriousness. Okay, um, I would say it was pretty mysterious before we got some of those updates. Like, we would have been like, oh my god, what happened to Kimberly? Um, also, stigmata. <laughs> uh, I guess if we were watching this in real time, they would be mysterious because we wouldn't have some of these updates, but... Yeah, now all of these not... questions are answered, really. Yeah, we'll say sideways, I guess. Okay, sideways. Uh, reenactments. Okay, sexy I... Jesus. I fucking love the reenactments. I love the sexy Jesus. I love the cavemen, camper, <laughs> abduction, murder, rapist guys. Like, okay, one of them, if there's a shot of this guy, like, leaning towards the car window to say, like, what you looking at, man? And seriously, they have his long hair, like, (laughs) he looks like Tarzan. (laughs) Completely covering his face, almost like Cousin It, and you can just see his mouth moving to be, like, what you do? Like, it's so weird. (laughs) It's so, it's like, like a fever dream. I assume David Lynch saw this and it inspired some of his work. Like, it's honestly, (laughs) like, truly bizarre. So I have to give it a strong thumbs up. Yeah, I would agree. Fashion. Un- unremarkable. Disappointing. Yeah, I don't know. A waste. Not that great. I mean, we had a. Was Colin Edinburgh the MVM? I don't want to give it to him, though, because I don't like him. Just by default. I think there's okay, none. Fine. Fine. Because I, I just thought, look, I'm glad that he like bothered to do his job, but he. I don't know. I just don't like his deal. I didn't like the cut of his jib at all. I was like, <laughs> okay. I want a different jib. I'm fine with it. We we don't have default uh, MVMs around here. You have to earn it. Yeah, it's true. It's like when they don't give out a call to cot that year. They're like, none of you were worthy. Right. This is just a regular old cop mustache. So <laughs> yeah, nothing. Sp- there was no great mustaches in this episode. Yeah. Um, Padre Pio didn't have a mustache, should he? Uh, he had like mustache beard combo. Yeah, I the holy man. I don't know. Saint Pio. Okay. Uh. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh robert stack not enough enough. yeah i don't know he was in a really pretty church when he introduced your miracle segment but which had a ton of like gold leaf on the wall it looked very dramatic but yeah yeah unsolved mysteries is very pro gold leaf um uh yeah i'm gonna say thumbs down oh so thumbs down okay i I needed more of him i needed more the yeah the bar is raised for stack so yeah um how do you rate this one i feel like it's better than average because i love the first two segments the first two were good and then it was like 
investigators and uh, this lost lost loved one i i feel like you should watch it but maybe quit halfway through so i'm gonna say three and a half yeah the first half gets a three and a half the other half gets a two whoa see i would even maybe say the first half gets a four and the other half gets all like a one (laughs) that's yeah i would say that that's fair sexy jesus is worth it sexy jesus that's a four if i ever saw a four (laughs) oh man He's a, te- he's a 10, but he's actually sexy Jesus. <laughs> um, okay. So we get to the recommendation portion. And I'm glad I go first because I want to talk about Cultish. Okay. Which is a book Samantha and I are reading this month for our book club. We just finished it yesterday. Oh, perfect. Great. Okay. So um, it's Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. It's by Amanda Montel, who um, wrote a book you may have heard of called Word Slut. I've never read that book. Um, This is the first book by her that I've read. I found this book interesting that it specifically is focusing on the way cults use language to indoctrinate people and manipulate people and how that language can be used by other groups that aren't as nefarious like soul cycle or mm-hmm. um mlms mlms yeah stuff like that and so she had specific examples of different ways language is used to be manipulative and i thought that was really interesting i almost would rather the book was like a bit more academic like i could have used more talk about like literal rhetoric and like more specific examples of how language is used and mm-hmm. I don't know theory about that or something it, a lot of it was just sort of general stuff about cults that you probably if you're the type of person that listens to this podcast you might already know about like Scientology or Jonestown which are two that she focuses on a lot um, but I did think it was pretty interesting what was your take I liked it a lot. I feel like I have a similar feelings as you. I wish that it was a little bit deeper. I wish, yeah. I wish we had dug a little bit deeper. I felt like um, she re- repeats sort of the same arguments over and over, which is fine. Um, I liked that she talked about some things like I particularly liked. Um, I mean, obviously, you're talking about cults. You're going to talk about the big ones. You're going to talk about Waco. You're going to talk about Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, um, Scientology. Oh, yeah. Um, she talked about the MLMs, which I always find interesting, but she also like, there was a section about like corporate speak, Mm. which I found like took me aback because I was like, she lists off a bunch of like corporate jargon, you know, like circle back and like those kinds of things and how it's like kind of culty language. And there was a lot that I was like, wow. Yeah. In my job, I hear that all the time. I say (laughs) that all the time. Like, it was kind of wild to think about it in that context um, and talking about how, like, yeah, it's used to, like, create um, solidarity and um, to manipulate you in these ways. And, like, I don't know. I found that really interesting. And kind of, like, the, the talk about, like, capitalism and how these things work to, like, you know, whatever. So I... Even though it's obviously there's a, you know, and she makes this distinction between like that sort of cultish language and the language that's used by like Jim Jones. Um, But still it's, I mean, like anything, a spectrum. So I found it fascinating. I found it to be an interesting take on cults that I hadn't heard of. I appreciated that. I mean, obviously at this point we've read a lot of books about cults. Um, So this is a new new take. Well, (laughs) who hasn't? uh, Who hasn't? Uh, But this is a new take on cults that I hadn't 
you know, considered and I found very interesting, but I do wish that it was a little bit, I wish it was longer. I wish Absolutely. we had spent yes. more, it didn't need to be as short. I feel like we really could have dove a little bit deeper into these concepts. Um, I feel like it's kind of scratched the surface and she, you know, she would say the same things like this. Um, what was the phrase she repeated all over and over again? The um, thought terminating cliche. Oh yeah. Where it's it's like a cliche that people say that basically like stops the argument argument in its tracks because like you know you there's no there's no way you can argue against it. Um so she points out those all the time and it was like okay I get it that's another example but like tell me more was kind of what I had hoped. But yeah. I really liked it. I think I gave it like a 4 on Goodreads. I would highly recommend it. She has a podcast, doesn't she? Yes, and I haven't checked that out because I feel the same way. I think this could have gone deeper. I listened to the audiobook, which was only eight hours, which is pretty short for an audiobook. Um, and in a way, it's like, oh, great. Like, this is very approachable. This is very, like, easy. But I was interested in it. So I was like, wow, I kind of wish this went deeper. I almost kind of wish there was one book specifically on the nef- nefarious uses, which would be yeah. the, like, cult uses or people trying to get you to harm yourself versus the things that are just, like, corporate speak or whatever that that have some of the same techniques but aren't necessarily, like, evil. For sure. They're- you know what I want a, a dedicated book on is the fitness cults. Yeah! <laughs> she talks about CrossFit. So you mentioned Soul Cycle. She talked about Peloton, Core Yoga. Like, she talked, she touched on all of these without going into, like, extreme detail in any one of them. And I was, like, fa- I was fascinated about that because I, you know, there was a few th- examples that she used that I didn't realize were so culty. Um but you get like that vibe, right? I feel like she mentioned something that I love, which was the idea of someone who has a low cringe threshold, which I feel like <laughs> is me. I have a very low cringe threshold. So like I'll hear these things sometimes and yeah. I'll Ugh. recognize that they're, I don't like it, but I can't put my finger on it. I feel like this book has helped me sort of articulate why, because it is like this culty language and a lot of these fitness places have that. Yeah. And that whole idea I found fascinating and I would love to read a whole book just about that. That absolutely should have been a separate book, I think. I think there's enough. Um, and it's it's two almost like very separate uses of this type of language that I feel like it could have been two separate books. And they mm-hmm. both ideas could have been expanded on. Um, like, it's super interesting. But then I was like, but that's it? Like, I need more. Well, there's just so much more there. I mean, she talks about, like, the idea that um, young people largely are turning away from religion but then this like these other things become spiritual like soul cycle or you know whatever a lot of times it's these fitness movements that people get swept up in and it becomes like the spiritual thing for people and I just feel like you could go so much deeper into those concepts and I kind of wanted to hear that yeah explore that yeah I agree I would recommend checking it out and maybe that's like a starting point for you know other things to look into that you're interested in but it's not a five. It's a four star for sure. Yeah. Do recommend that, though. Mm-hmm. Did you have one or do you want to just say that too? I I was going to recommend the recipe I told you about last night. Oh yeah. I do that. It, I ate it again for lunch and I have nothing else to recommend. Um, yeah. I made this salad dressing recipe last night. This sounds so silly spoken out loud, but it was so good. Um, so I follow this guy who, mostly for gardening advice on Instagram. His name is K 
Caleb Wise, W-Y-S-E, and his like company, he has a blog called Wise Guide, so W-Y-S-E Guide, uh, kind of a play on his name. And he posts a lot. I've actually made a couple of his recipes before. He has like a pesto recipe that's really good. I've made a couple times. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, he posted a recipe for blueberry vinaigrette. blueberry basil vinaigrette dressing and i made it last night for dinner and it was so good it was was truly delicious it it was amazing and um i got to use some stuff from the garden some basil you gave me some shallots last year that i've been trying to figure out how to cook with because i don't normally cook with shallots and this calls for a tiny bit of of shallots i feel like you could use onion if you don't have shallots um but it's blueberry basil olive oil balsamic vinegar and you just blend it all up a couple other things you blend it all up and then i made this salad that he also posted about like a couple he like a couple days later he posted a salad which is essentially just like arugula um peaches uh i put feta cheese on mine uh today for lunch i made some chicken i put some chicken on it and i smothered it in this dressing and it was fantastic so i highly recommend if you're looking for a salad recipe because it's summer and you know you've got some fresh ingredients um check it out you can look you can find him on instagram if you don't have instagram he does have a blog um so just like google wise guide and you can find his blog where he posts all his recipes he has some i haven't made a lot of his recipes but they all look super good there's a cookie recipe he has um that i really like a chocolate chip cookie recipe that looks amazing um yeah highly recommend eat some salad get some green in your diet uh does anybody remember in the early 2000s how literally every restaurant had this salad that was spinach berries goat cheese and then like raspberry vinaigrette like literally (laughs) literally every restaurant had this i just remember putting raspberry vinaigrette on everything (laughs) Well, I would order that salad, like, essentially every place I fucking went for years, and I goddamn miss it. If the 2000s are back, bring back the berry goat cheese spinach salad. That's when they're really back. I don't, I'm not impressed with the youth wearing Lowe's Rice jeans, whatever. <laughs> bring back the raspberry vinaigrette. I feel like you could make yeah. the same recipe with raspberries. I probably It would probably will. be delicious. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm probably going to make some more. <laughs> have it for lunch maybe i'll just eat this the rest of the summer samantha's already like looking at her blender she's not really recording well i i I told you about it because i know you went berry picking and you had blueberries i've got a i've got a bunch of berries i gotta do something with because they are going to you know how berries berries last about like two days 12 hours (laughs) they hardly last at all i freeze mine and put them in smoothies yeah i should probably do that okay i think that wraps it up for today Everybody should really join our Patreon because it's only a dollar to get, what, like more than 50 episodes at this point? Well over 50 episodes at this point, yeah. You'll you'll feel like a fool that you didn't do it sooner. And this month, we're going to be talking about the pilot episode of The Practice, which is a legal drama that was on ABC starting in 1997. It's what I've been watching, like, this year, and um, it's a real time capsule. If you want to move... (laughs) And if you're listening to this, we probably haven't released that episode yet because we're always real late. So you'll get it hot off the press. Yeah. You want to hear hear our deep insights into the practice and what the 90s were like, you'll want to tune into that. 
Um, also, for our super duper mystery solvers, our top level patrons are getting a pretty amazing gift oh, this month. Amazing. You're gonna um, I don't want to spoil it. But maybe in a little bit after people have started to get them, I'll post a pic and then you're definitely going to want to join to get one because, oh my God. Do you think people would sign up if they knew what they were getting? Probably. Like, should we, should we, should we put, should we spoil it? <sighs> okay. To get some right. signups? Okay. I'm going to, I am going to spoil it. You're, you make a great point. People are going to want to sign our, up. This is our business meeting we're having live on air. <laughs> People are going to want this. So you may have recalled that a little while ago, I had artist, friend of the pod, Brian Duffy, draw a coloring sheet for us of a Mothman uh, romance novel with Samantha. (laughs) Featuring me. (laughs) On the cover. And what I realized was like, oh, this would be such a good cover for a a Mothman romance. Why don't we get this? First of all, why don't we have him color it? like you know professionally so it looks good and then why don't we put that on notebooks so that you can write your own mothman romance yes and they just came in the mail yesterday and they look so fucking good the notebooks have 50 pages because i assume you have a lot of smut to write (laughs) and it literally says write your own mothman man romance on the front and then but also says the title you don't get to pick the title the title is drawn to the flame so and perhaps it's you novel (laughs) perhaps it's you novel with sexy samantha who we all know is such a babe and that's how she'll be remembered um flirting flirting off shoulder dress with mothman and by a candelabra like how can you not get this this notebook so if you if you haven't signed up before you'll have to sign up now it's ten dollars a month and then after three months you'll get your gift so Keep that in mind. Um, you should be listening to this on Repod as we have recovered because they're the best. Yes. Um, we're on social media. If you want to see me occasionally fight with people, you're going to need to be over on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> Where occasionally like some MAGA jerk discovers our podcast and is shocked. Shocked. Um, what else? What else? I don't know. This podcast is great. We have t-shirts, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, send us your ghost stories. Your paranormal. We have like none right now. We need paranormal tales, or like maybe you solved a mystery, or maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you made out with Mothman. Um, keep it safe for work, but send it to perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. Yeah. Right? Samantha's, so. Samantha's like honestly thinking of quitting. She's like, oh yeah, in a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Let me look at my calendar. No, I was trying to think if we got everything, but I think we did. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Keep barking. Bye. Bye.